program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
They had suffered for three long years under a famine, a drought, that was the direct judgment of God pronounced by Elijah against Israel. They had forsaken the Lord God of heaven. They had turned with Ahab and Jezebel and worshipped the false god of prosperity, Baal. They had worshipped the sexual goddess, the mother goddess of Asherah. And now the judgment of God had come upon them with such a heavy hand. And they wanted the judgment to end. And so they were summoned by King Ahab at Elijah's command to come to Mount Carmel. They came wondering what to expect. There they watched the foolishness of the prosperity preachers, the self-flagellation, the prophesying, the dancing, the singing. They had to put up with all of the foolishness of their false gods and of their false worship until finally it was time for the evening sacrifice when Jesus was offered on Calvary's tree. And Elijah steps forward. He rebuilt the altar. He prepared the bull, the wood, but not the fire. And now he begins to pray we need to note the prayer of Elijah. If you hope to have your prayers answered, we must pray as Elijah prayed. Elijah is the, the teacher, the instructor of the Elijah company on how to cry out to Jesus and have our prayers answered. O oh Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. We've got to be very clear that everything we do as pastors and as people, as church boards, as vestries, we must be very clear that we are doing it at the Lord's command because every plant that is planted in the flesh will be pulled up and tossed into the fire at the end of time, regardless of the fruit it has or has not produced. Flesh can only produce flesh. Spirit produces spirit. And so the first question I have The first question, who are we praying to? We're not praying to Allah. We are praying to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, the overcomer. When we come to God, we have to understand that we're coming to a historic God, a God who has operated in time and space and history. It is not a new God. 
It is not a new fad. The new fad is the modern America. The new fad is what is being introduced in the filth and the vileness of Hollywood. The new God are the video games and the violent movies and all of the entertainment of our day, including football. All of those are the new gods. They have no historic place with the people of God. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. He is asking the Lord God to confirm that he has only acted according to the word of God spoken to him and directing him in the path in which he should walk. It is of utmost necessity that the Elijah company only walk in the revealed will of God. That we're not off on our own, we're not off on some new teaching, some supposed truth that has just emerged. We are square on. We know that what we are saying comes straight from the heart of God. And he's saying, would you confirm this to the people, Lord God of heaven? Answer me, O Lord. Answer me so that these people will know that you, O Lord, are God. Now, the only way he could pray that prayer was if in the past he had prayed and God had responded. Some of you today have no experience with God answering very specific concrete prayers you have spiritualized prayer so that he does not answer specific prayers in specific time frames one of the most wonderful gifts god has given to me is telling me what he's going to do as i have pled with him as i have asked him that God then steps in and does exactly what he said he would do. I have shared with other people that God said he would do this. And then he comes and says, I will do it on this date. Watch while I do what you have asked me to do. And when he does that, I know beyond any question it was the Lord, the Lord God of Israel, the Lord Jesus Christ. We must have specific answers to specific prayers based on the command and the will of God. Romans 12 tells us that if we are on that altar of burnt offering, if we are living sacrifices before God, if we have held nothing back from God, we can test and approve and know what the will of God is. I hear preachers say, God doesn't have a specific woman he wants you to marry. They say, marry anyone you'd like to marry. God does not involve himself in the specific details. 
is there only one woman that is right for you? And they say, no, no. Go to a dating website, do whatever you... You know what? I don't operate that way. I pray until I get an answer. Until it is confirmed that this is God's will. And then I wait for him to tell me when he will bring it to pass. And then I stand by faith and watch as he brings it to pass. I have had to walk this way for many years now. God is very specific. You can test and approve and know God's will if you are willing to lay your life utterly, totally, and completely on that altar of burnt offering. But if you have your own hidden agenda, if you have your own will as foremost, your prayers will simply be the practice of yoga. For he will not answer. If you hold sin in your heart, he will not answer your prayer. So Elijah is saying, Oh God, answer me, so that these people will know that you, O oh Lord, are God, that you are turning their hearts back again. He was not asking this so that he could be someone he was asking this as a demonstration of the power of God that he could understand and know that God was turning their hearts back to himself. I cry out to God for revival. He has promised me that revival will come to America. I am now pressing hard in the prayer closet on, Lord, when will you bring revival? When, specifically, date, hour, time, when will you bring the power of your Holy Spirit upon America? I know he will do it. He has promised me revival. But now I need to know when. I am preparing my heart every day for revival today, revival now. But I also know he will answer my cry. He has so many times before. He's given me specific times and dates on when he will function and fulfill the promise he has made to me. Oh, Lord God, you are turning their hearts back again. And then the fire fell. It burned up the sacrifice, which was rep representing Jesus Christ. It was looking forward to Jesus dying on Calvary's tree. And the wood and the stones and the soil and the water, they were all burned. And the people saw this, and they fell on their faces. And they cried, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. 
Well, if he is God, there are some very necessary things that must be done and done quickly. The next sentence, Then Elijah commanded them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought down to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. These wicked prophets of Baal had caused Israel to turn against the living God of heaven. They were the ones responsible for bringing the judgment of God upon this nation. They were duly executed for their treason against the God of heaven and earth. It is necessary to take very specific actions when we have recognized that the Lord is God. When you see without question in your mind and your heart that the Lord is God, the Lord, the verb to be. He was, he is, he will forever be. When you finally grasp that understanding in your heart, then you must take very specific action to reform your life and your household and likewise then to reform our nation. Now, Elijah says to Ahab, Go, eat, and drink, for is the sound of heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink. Now, what is not said is of most utmost importance. Ahab had followed the lead of Elijah and had these prophets executed. Evidently, he was in some ways submissive to the man of God. But we see that the revival is already dying. This was one of the shortest revivals in history. The revival is already dying. Ahab has seen clearly that the Lord, he is God. But when given an opportunity, his only interest is to go off on a picnic. Had the revival truly touched Ahab's heart, he would have said, No, I don't want anything to eat, Elijah. Let's go pray to the God of heaven. He had no interest in praying to the God of heaven. He felt as though he had survived. He now had what he wanted. He had the promise of the rain coming. And so now he's ready to go on a picnic. He's ready to go back to his entertainment. And so Ahab went off to eat and drink. But Elijah... He does not go to eat and drink and be a guest 
of King Ahab. He knows where he belongs. One of the most important issues of this day is to know where you belong. Not thinking that you can just go wherever you want to go and picnic wherever you want to picnic. You must know where you belong. He climbed to the top of Mount Carmel. He bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. In other words, he would not kneel this way to King Ahab, as was the custom. But he knelt this way before the king of his own heart, the king of the Lord God of heaven. He knew that there was spiritual work to be done. There was a promise made. There was a demonstration of fire. And now he knew he had to pray to bring in the rain. Many of you pray, and you get some assurance in your heart that God has heard you, and then off you go on your picnics to your television, to your entertainment. And the promise is delayed. And you wonder, God promised this, why isn't he doing it? Because there is a second work of prayer that must be done. He climbs to the top of Mount Carmel where he can see spread out before him the entire Mediterranean Ocean. And there he gets on his face before God. Now he finishes his prayer and he speaks to a servant and he says, Go and look toward the sea. And the servant went to a better vista and looked carefully at the sea. He came back and he said, There is nothing. Seven times Elijah had this young man go back and check to see whether or not God had produced a rain cloud. Would you have quit after your first round of prayer? I hear foolish people who know nothing of how to pray say, you should only pray one time. Anything more is a lack of faith. Utterly wrong. Elijah prayed seven times. And we don't know how long each prayer lasted, but we certainly know they lasted long enough for Ahab to have finished his meal, the preparation and laying out of it by the servants, and then the consumption of that meal. The seventh time the servant came back and reported a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. Just a tiny little cloud he can see, barely see it.
Elijah said, Go tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain begins. Very quickly, the sky grows dark. Clouds. How many times have I sat on the front porch of my boyhood home in western Pennsylvania? Or earlier, in Bosler, Wyoming? Or Laramie, Wyoming? And watched a rainstorm come. Something glorious and majestic as the breeze begins to pick up and you can begin to smell the rain. The clouds are roiled and boiling. Then the wind seems to reverse itself. And soon the rain begins to fall. I've sat many times waiting for the rain and then let it just rain on me until I'm soaking wet and then run in the rain. I did that as a child many times. The wind is blowing. The sky is dark. And the heavy rain begins to fall. First time in three years, the rain has come. As Elijah is watching all of this, the Holy Spirit does something very unusual. He falls upon Elijah. And Elijah, tucking his cloak into his belt, he turns and he runs ahead of Ahab's horses all the way to Jezreel. Can you imagine the sight this man made, bare-legged, as he runs faster than the horses can go? The flashes of lightning, Ahab can see him traveling just ahead, guiding him down that mountain road with sheets of rain coming down. I don't know why the Lord did this, except perhaps as another indicator for King Ahab who he was dealing with in Elijah, that he was dealing with the Lord God himself who controlled his servant Elijah. Now Elijah goes on from Jezreel. You would think he would have been invited into the palace, given dry clothing, given a feast, honored by the people and by the king and the queen. None of that was done. And again, an indicator of the shortness of this revival. There was no compassion. There was no godliness. There was no 
turning of Ahab's heart. He was simply subdued. We'll see that a number of times in King Ahab's life where he is subdued and turns in part from his sin and the God of heaven has mercy upon him. But he never entirely turns to the Lord. And so he does not treat Elijah as he should be treated, as a brother, as family. Now when Ahab gets back, he tells the queen Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and said, and then tells her what he has done in the killing of all of the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel is angry. I'm sure she screamed and cursed and swore, I will kill that prophet. It was no idle threat. She very much intended to send an assassin to kill Elijah. Now I want you to see what happens when a great victory is won in the power of God. The temptation then is to let down. I'm sure that Elijah was exhausted after his run. Yes, it was powered by the Spirit but it was still his human flesh, and he is utterly exhausted. I'm sure he's exhausted by the three years, the marathon that he has had, constantly praying that the, that the, the flour and the oil will not run out for this little woman, Zarephath. I'm sure he's had to cry out to God time after time, never knowing when an assassin from the king would find and slay him. He has lived under immense back-breaking pressure. And suddenly this word comes from Jezebel. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. And Elijah was afraid, and he ran for his life. I have great sympathy for Elijah. Unfortunately, he ran at the wrong time. I wish he had gone and gotten on his face and said, Lord, what do you want to do about Jezebel? The Lord could direct him to go to Ahab and say it will not rain for three years. The Lord could direct him to go to the brook Cherith and send the ravens to feed him. 
the Lord could direct Elijah to go to the widow of Zarephath and that the flour and the oil would not run out. The Lord could direct Elijah to go and confront Ahab. The Lord could direct a gathering on Mount Carmel. The Lord could direct Elijah to rebuild the altar, to establish it in righteousness, and the fire fell. Do you think that had he gone to the Lord God of heaven, he could not have asked about Jezebel? Of course he could have. Had he been willing to wait on the Lord, the Lord would have dealt with Jezebel and saved the nation of Israel much, much pain. But because he does not wait on the Lord but runs, the revival is over. It is ended. Jezebel has taken a position in full opposition, and now the word has spread through Israel that Elijah has run from Jezebel. Jezebel still rules the nation. Had Elijah stood the revival might have lasted. But he collapsed in his own flesh and in his own fear. Elijah was a man like I am. Elijah was a man like you are. And fear could still be aroused in his heart and cause him to shoot off like a billiard ball into the pocket of the devil. Now, I do have to tell you, I am very grateful about one thing. I'm grateful for where he fled. He did not flee back to the widow of Zarephath. He did not flee back to the brook Cherith. He ran for Mount Horeb known as the mountain of God. If we are going to be terrified and run, at least let's run to God. And that's what Elijah did. Not in the prayer closet, however. And that was the issue. Elijah heard that Jezebel was sending an assassin after him. And he turned and ran. The scriptures say he ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, the scriptures tell us that he left his servant there while he himself went on a day's journey into the desert. In other words, he traveled all the next day by himself without his servant. And he came to a broom tree, a scrub bush. And he sat down under it. 
and he prayed that he might die. He was in full-blown depression. You see, when you do not stand by faith, you do not stand at all. If you collapse under the load of the devil's smoke, for this was exactly what this was. It was Jezebel's devil smoke. She could not touch Elijah's life. Elijah was the spokesman for God Almighty. She had no authority and no power to touch the life of Elijah. But Elijah broke down and ran. Often after we've had a great victory, we'll have a great defeat. But they are unnecessary. If we will learn not to accept the defeat, no matter what the reports are, do not accept the bad report. Go to Jesus and bow down and put your face between your knees and ask him for his report and for his direction and believe what he tells you and not what the devil tells you or the servant of the devil tells you. Do not believe the devil's smoke. Do not believe the devil's smoke. Don't run. Stand. Though the heavens fall, stand on the word of God. He is faithful. He is true. He was the God who answered by fire. The promises that God has made to you, he will fulfill. If you don't run. And then he says to the Lord, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lays down under the tree and he falls asleep, hoping he will never awaken, hoping that he will be devoured by a wild animal, hoping that he can die under that broom tree and be found just the bones. <laughs> I so sympathize with Elijah. I too have said, I've had it, Lord. Get me out of here. I can't stand this battle another moment. I've had enough, Lord. I can't do this anymore. Just take my life. I'm done. Have you ever said that? Have you ever come to a place under the beatings being administered to you by the devil? Perhaps even coming to you through a husband or a wife or a child or a friend, so-called, or a boss where you've just finally said, I've had it. 
I'm done. Just let me die. What tells us so much is that he just said, I'm no better than my ancestors. In other words, God, you have not done anything more for me than my ancestors. I've been a failure. The revival's over. I can't do anything. I am scorned in Israel. An assassin is after me. I've had it. I'm done. I'm exhausted. It's over. Get me out of here. And he falls asleep. And all at once, an angel touches him and says, Get up and eat. Get up and eat. When we have come to the end of everything, we've come to an end of finances, we've come to an end of courage, we've come to an end, and we finally, all we can say is, Lord, I'm done. Let me die. the Lord in his great kindness and his great mercy to you will send a ministering spirit to encourage your heart. Now I want to say something to you that may sound strange, but please try to hear what I'm saying to you. The work of God is too big for us. I freely confess to you, the work of God is too big for me. I'm not big enough to do it. This radio broadcast is too big for me. The challenge of how are we going to transition from AM to FM, that challenge is too big for me. The challenge to go to the nation with an Elijah message of righteousness, that's too big for me. I can't do it. And if I thought that God was commanding me to do it, I would say, take my life. I'm no better than my father's. I don't have the ability. I don't have the words. I don't have anything I need to do this. But what I've learned, what I've learned through the years is that the work of God is too big for me, but it is not too big for Jesus. What a glorious, personal revelation that the work of God is far too big for me, but not too big for Jesus. And so Jesus has brought into my life those wonderful ministering spirits to encourage me on the road, to strengthen me on the journey, to feed me. One of the most amazing things he did for me after my precious wife died six years ago, he sent me to a restaurant 
and the owner of that restaurant said to me, Pastor, you need a place that's home. You need a place where you can come and eat, where you can come and just be at home with us. He said, Pastor, I'll never charge you another penny for a meal. Just come and eat. That place has been such a place of gracious love and mercy, a ministering spirit to me, sent by Jesus to care for me during this very difficult time of grieving. And now the Lord is in the process of bringing a sweetheart into my life, a ministering spirit. God in his graciousness, in his mercy, in his great kindness will send exactly who we need to come into our life, to speak into us that word of encouragement, that word of kindness, that word of mercy, that we would put our confidence totally and completely in the Lord God of heaven and not in ourselves. Oh, I tell you, I have precious men and women at the National Prayer Chapel that God sent at this hour to hold me accountable, to encourage me, to give me wisdom and direction as I need it, to give me honest feedback to walk with me as brothers and sisters in Christ. I treasure these dear people. They are closer to me than my own family. Why? Because they are the people of God sent as ministering spirits as I was utterly exhausted and broken and dying. God sent them to minister to my heart. Elijah looks around, and there by his head was a cake of bread just baked over hot coals. And there was a jar of water, and he ate and he drank. And then he lay down and went back to sleep. The angel of Yes, uh, someone has called, Tom, Brother Tom, I believe. Uh, let's bring him online. Brother Tom, welcome. What would yes. you like to share? Hey. Hey. I'm sorry? What would you like to share? Uh, I just heard a part of your broadcast there, and I can certainly relate, as you know, from our card. I, I sent you an email. I don't know if you ever got it, but I want to thank you for your card. You knew about my brother, and then uh, 40 days later, my wife passed away also, and almost to the hour, I guess, the Lord knows, but uh, certainly been feeling that way. You know, I've uh, been thinking about Dionne Warwick's song, What's What's It All About, Alfie? So, yes. You know, I uh, I know you can relate 
probably better than just about anybody. Uh, I was thinking about something you said one time. I don't know if you remember, but you've lived in the Valley of Baca most of your life. I said, boy, I can relate to that. Yes. I know that feeling, but I know God is good, and he's still on the throne. Just uh, feeling my way out day to day, so to speak. So how are you surviving, Tom? By the grace of God. Yes. I'm telling you, Pastor Ace, every day I get off. So I, I, I think I'm walking around in shock still. You know, I was sharing with someone that I felt like, you know, I felt like a fighter in the ring, and I got a left hook, and I was dazed, you know, when my brother passed away. I'm talking about there's six children in the family. He's, he's, uh, he and I were the closest. You know, he, I was the closest sibling to him and vice versa, although my younger sister might beg to differ in some ways, but, uh, you know, that's how we, we were like a married couple growing up, and, uh, you know, I was just getting over that, and then my wife passed away suddenly. I mean, it's shocking, man. I tell you, God's not playing any games. I know that's right. I tell but, you uh, what, Tom, I can testify through the death of my wife that he simply has drawn me closer to himself as I have seen his mercy poured out from me. Yes. Yes. Um, well, I, I guess I've been surviving by the prayers of the saints because uh, I know people have been praying for me. I know you have too, and I appreciate it. Tom, I have uh, been praying. I've been very concerned, and I've been watching for you to come and visit us. Yes. Well, Lord willing, it'll be sooner than later. It's just... I've been dealing with so much, uh, you know, not just the emotional part, but um, I, I, I'm uh, head of the estate for my brother as well as for my wife. And, uh, you know, it's just uh, one thing after another on that end of it. And then, then I had to get my taxes ready, too. I just, I, I don't know which way is uh, which way's up sometimes, but uh, just try to do what I can every day at this point. And, I figured if I can make it through the winter, you know, maybe I can see things clear. And, and so, my goal. Tom, are you planning on staying in the house? Please. Please. What, do, what did you say? Did you hear me? Pray for me. And, yeah. Uh, are you planning, I hope to see you Tom? Soon. Tom, are you planning on staying in the house? Huh? Are you going to stay in the house? Uh, in my house, you mean? Yes. Uh, it's uh, it's lonely, <laughs> but uh, my daughter got me a little cat, so kind of keeps me comfortable, or Good. gives me comfort and company. Well, brother, let me pray for you, may I? Please. Please. Lord, Tom has walked with you for many years. And now he's seeing a whole new side. And I pray your grace for Tom today. I pray, Lord, that every part of religion will be totally stripped away. And that in the rawness of this hour and the death of his brother and his, and his wife, I pray, Lord, that in the rawness of this time you will give him such a revelation of yourself that he will glory in who you are, Jesus. 
I pray that you will order the practical steps that he must take with the estates. And I pray that as he spends time reading the word and praying, that you will come and meet him. Lord, thank you. Thank you for Tom, and thank you for your mercy for him. Thank you that he is alive and that his confidence is in you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, Tom. Thank you, Pastor. I appreciated it. You're welcome. I'll continue praying for you, brother. I appreciate it. You you don't know how much. Stay in touch. All right. We'll see you here, there, up in the air. You're right. Bye-bye. Mr. Producer, how much time do we have left? Well, we're going to wrap it up there today. We'll come back tomorrow and pick up this study in Elijah. I pray you'll go to our website, nationalprayerchapel.com, and I would love to see you come and visit us at the prayer chapel. You'll find all that information on the webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you, my brother my sister. Don't let discouragement rule your heart. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Was able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy.